Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Darcy Oak is an internationally acclaimed magician, illusionist, and performer, who's also been a mental health and addictions advocate for about a decade now. Since his brother Bruce lost his battle with addiction in 2011, the entire Oak family has been working towards opening the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, the first of its kind in Winnipeg. Yeah, I think over time, you know, especially with the more this becomes a predominant issue in, in society in general. I think the I think the narrative will change and the conversations will be different and it'll be less looking down upon these people and and actually actively trying to help. Now only months away from opening its doors, Darcy joins us to talk about his brother's legacy, addiction, stigma, and how we as a community need to approach people experiencing addiction with compassion and support. And I'm now joined by Darcy Oak, internationally renowned performer, magician, illusionist. How do you want? Is that okay if I call you all those things? Is that I'll is that accurate? Above. Yeah, no beautiful. Fun. Well, th- Darcy, thanks for being on the show. It's great to have you. Oh, my pleasure. So your dad was guest number one on this podcast two years ago, and I think to this day it's still one of the highest, um, you know, rated episodes of all time. So let's try and beat your dad's, yeah, uh, your, your, yeah. your dad's numbers on this one. Um, we talked a lot of, b- when he was on the show about Bruce and his life and everything. Uh, but before we get into all that, just how have you guys been doing? How's the family doing? How have things been for COVID and, and what have you guys been up to? Since I think the last time I saw you was at the groundbreaking. So uh, what have you guys been up to since then? Yeah, I mean, the foundation's been going full steam ahead. So we're about a couple weeks away, actually, from the sort of soft launch. Um, we're going to do the grand opening in, in August on Bruce's birthday. So yeah, the, the, thankfully, um, it was deemed essential. So, uh, the construction was able to keep going during the pandemic. So, uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, halted or paused or anything due to the pandemic. So that was a, a major plus. Otherwise, who knows how much that would have, how much time that would have set us back. So, mm-hmm. uh, that was good. Family's good. It's, uh, it's it's very quickly but like so for for the longest time my parents had the foundation line sort of redirect to their house and like late well not it's changed now but when it was still going there in the past uh couple months it like i'd go over to the house and it would just be non-stop ringing so that's a good sign right there that's you know people are phoning asking is it open when can we get in you know so and so is struggling so it's been going full steam ahead it's uh it's it's very quickly turned into basically a you know a full-time job for my for my parents for sure um but the infrastructure is all set up people are hired everything's very very close a couple weeks away so um yeah it's it's been it's been going rapidly that's wild yeah and and ever since it sort of came onto our radar at the foundation and, and on my personal radar i've noticed so much support so what what is it like when you see you know people showing their support whether it's through financial support and donations and stuff or just you know telling their stories and sharing you know how this how how your story maybe connects with theirs what's that been like for you guys well that's like that's the biggest thing i feel well i shouldn't say the biggest thing but that's uh you know something i've sort of recognized throughout the whole process is that you know, obviously having the facility made is amazing, but I think one of the one of the next biggest things is the fact that the perception of it is no longer kind of like a secret disease. Like I remember when Bruce was struggling, we, like there's no blueprint. We didn't know who to call, who to like, what's the, where do we go? How does this work? And and it's also, you know, a, a disease, if you will, that nobody wants to talk about. It's So I think we've done... We, we've made leaps and bounds in changing the sort of narrative from a from a 
you know, secret thing that you don't want to talk about that people are ashamed of to being something that, that can be openly discussed without judgment. So um, I think that's one of the uh, one of the nicest takeaways from this whole thing, other than obviously the building that's going to save lives. But just the narrative around addiction, you know, normally is so like oh, we don't want to we don't want to admit that so and so has a problem or we don't want to, you know, that type of thing. So yeah. to hear some of the calls that come in and, you know, they're just regular every day, like it, it can affect anyone. So, you know, there's uh, that that that's sort of like the biggest takeaway that I've kind of seen, you know, in the in the, in the past 10 years is is how frequent these calls are coming in, how many people are struggling and how much you know more open people are willing to discuss it now and seek help as opposed to kind of, you know, go the other route. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, 10 years is a very long time. You guys have been on this journey for 10 years as you as you mentioned Bruce passed in in 2011. So maybe take me back to then and and what was going through your mind when when all that obviously it's incredibly mm-hmm. tragic, but but I mean Compared to back then and now, take me back to 2011 when this first all went down and you guys were kind of going through it. Mm-hmm. Did you immediately get into the idea of, of, of keeping Bruce's memory alive through this recovery center or how did that process kind of play out? Yeah, so it was a good, it was a good family friend who sort of, I guess, planted the seed, if you will. And uh, I mean, as a, a, an addict for, for a good chunk of his adult life, you, there, there was nothing necessarily like this in Winnipeg. Um, and the best sort of uh, success that he had during his addicted life was in a long-term recovery center in Calgary. <clears throat> and, um, you know, just to see the change that, he, that ha- you know, the impact it had on him being in there for over a year, as opposed to, you know, kind of a 30-day program or that type of thing. Like, we're, being that level of addict, the 30-day program wasn't really effective for him at all. Um, so it's about the continuous support afterwards kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, a good family friend suggested the idea and I mean, who really knows how to navigate the levels of government and all of that and get this <laughs> off, off the ground. But luckily, you know, we got in contact with the right people. Or I should say my folks did, but, uh, and yeah, and, and basically just met the right people and, and kept the, kept the wheels turning and, and, you know, it was a 10 year, 10 year journey and then to raise the money and all of that. It, it, it's a, it's crazy to look back on it actually, like, and standing in the building, now where it's like almost complete drywalls up like the finished work is all happening now so it's it's insane to stand in there and think about like where we were it's where we've gotten in this 10-year period and it, it's it's pretty amazing yeah. but yeah at the time it was uh i don't think like there's obviously i, th- I think it helped with the grieving process really mm. to have you know because when somebody dies like that it's very difficult to sort of wrap your head around and and you know you kind of think like well what's the purpose right Mm -hmm. and so to turn it into something like this that gives his his life meaning can help other people i think was the was the most important thing so as much as this is going to help you know the city and everything it's also helped as a family to you know in within the grieving process as well so it's kind of uh you know amazing that way as well yeah it's it's wild to think about i was telling your dad when we did the podcast you and and bruce are the exact same age as my brother and i so it was very like i don't know i I shed a couple tears doing the research and thinking of just thinking about the the difficulty but when you think back on your sort of brotherly relationship i'm assuming like my brother and i there was a lot of scraps and a lot of you know getting into it especially because he was a boxer but like what are some of the some of the memories that you think back on you know like what was bruce like when you guys were growing up did you guys scrap a lot what what was he into Uh, 
it was basically like extremely immature all the time. Like when we were together, it's just who can who can get the other one to crack? Who can say the stupidest thing? We, we were like five year olds. We were around <laughs> each other, and it was. Uh, but within that was also like a you know, a, a level of affection kind of thing, you know, which was like, that was sort of how we showed our affection for each other by kind of like acting like idiots or doing stupid stuff or getting the other one to crack or like, you know, just behaving like hooligans essentially. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's like the, the, the Oak family has a very specific sense of humor, I would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, he encapsulated that fully. And it was just, he, you know, he had the, the, the type of energy that would, would command the room whether it was intentional or unintentional, it was just sort of one of those people you gravitate towards. And, you know, I, I find to know this is a little bit off topic, but I always find that, um, I shouldn't say always find, but anyone who I've ever sort of met and, and sort of interacted with that's working the 12 step program is so in tune, like internally and with themselves mm. that there's like a level of like personality and sort of awareness that just like, you know, an average person might not have because they haven't necessarily done that self sort of reflecting and, and all of that. And that's something I sort of recognized like later in life, like maybe within the past couple of years, it's like, wow, people who are working the 12 step program are very in tune and switched on with their emotions and their feelings and, and sort of like, I guess more, I don't want to say socially aware, but more kind of, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, uh, and, and that was something, yeah, like I, I sort of recognized later on and it makes so much sense now, you know, when, when you can come to terms with your sort of inner demons and be comfortable and, you know, therefore, it's almost like you're like you have this dynamic and this energy about you that people kind of want to be around. And it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat that way. It's like people owning their their stuff. I was going to say, yeah. bad word, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, people owning their their stuff and being and being vulnerable and, and just sort of saying, hey, hey, world, here I am. Like I've yeah. gone through hell and and I'm willing to, you know, show who I am. And, and that's very appealing in a, in a way. Yeah, Our, it's authentic. And, and yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Our, so what? I'm assuming you're getting a lot of people, maybe not a lot, but I'm certainly a lot of people sharing their stories and coming up to you and, and sharing these vulnerable sort mm. of intimate moments. Like, how do you feel when you're kind of inundated perhaps with, with stories of people going through addiction and suffering through the, through these diseases and like, you know, that's pretty heavy stuff. So how do you handle sort of, you know, hearing these stories and connecting with these people on such an intimate level? I like, I mean, not to say that I, I like it, but I do like it in a way because it, it's, and it was one of those things too, like when he passed away, it, it's, it's difficult to sort of like share the emotions or discuss it without somebody who's necessarily gone through the same thing. You know, as much as people are there for you and everything and, and it's, you know, it's great and it's needed, but there's a difference when you talk to somebody who's gone through the same thing, who fully understands it on that level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there'll be times obviously pre pandemic when I would be out or something and someone would come up and be like, Hey, listen, like I'm going through this or, or my brother or my friend is going through this. And it's like, it's a different level of conversation that in a weird way is kind of, I don't want to say comforting, but almost mm -hmm. in a way where mm -hmm. you, you understand the pain that this person's going through. Uh, you know, I've been through that pain. It's a different level of conversation that, uh, is in a, in a way it's comforting. It's hard to explain. I don't really necessarily know why that is, but you know, I think cause at the beginning, like I was, uh, well, 20, was I 21? It was 10 years ago. So yeah, I was 23 when it happened. Wow. And, uh, I still, you're trying to find yourself as a, as a sure. young adult at that point. So it was, it was almost like, you know, going like I got on the road probably six months after he passed away. I got a, a contract on a cruise ship and then I just sort of dove head first into doing shows and staying on the road and staying busy. 
So I think for the first like couple of years, I kind of avoided the grieving process mm -hmm. or the healthy way to grieve, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And then it sort of happened, you know, a few years after that, where I could really understand what happened and, and the impact it had and the long-term effects that it would have on, on us as a family and individuals. Mm -hmm. So when you do talk to somebody who's, you know, currently struggling or knows someone who's struggling, it, it, it's almost selfish to be helpful to me in a way, if that right. makes sense. You know, for sure. It's like an instant connection with someone yeah. right? and just have, having that instant sort of common ground that you can, you can talk to someone and, and yeah, that's, yeah very interesting so like not that you're an expert in addiction or anything but like what have you learned over the last 10 years about you know because even like we said 10 years ago is a long time when it comes to how th how our knowledge has changed how stigmas have changed and, and all of the above so how would you consider you know you're able to probably talk to people about it and hold your own in a conversation but how like what what is your what is your um mindset when it comes to talking about addiction and what have you learned about addiction over the last decade or so uh, that the most like one of the most helpful things you can do is to talk about it because obviously, you know, like we've said, there's such a stigma behind it. And I think um, I think that's slowly changing, especially with the level of addiction that's now experienced in society. Um, so I think that's becoming or it has come more to the forefront and people are more open to talking about it. Um, I would also say that recovering addicts and people in recovery are, like I said before, some of the most switched on self-aware people. Uh, and it's, it can be anyone, like it can literally be anyone and it doesn't, you know, it's not just the core of downtown and that's it. It's everywhere. And more people than I think anyone would probably realize. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's one of those things that I think without the proper sort of, uh, facilities and treatment and discussions and conversations that, you know, it needs it, something that needs, you know, there has to get, it has to be a handle on it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's starting now, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I also like it, it's cause it's, it's, how do I explain it? It's not, um, like I have a hard time walking past any homeless person and not giving them money or anything like that. And that could, that easily could have been Bruce, you know what I mean? So there's a different level of sensitivity to people struggling, I think within our family now. Um, and, and they're not bad people. Like, I think that's part of the, biggest thing is uh is it's not bad people this was a quote that somebody told me uh early on when we were trying to get the recovery center off the ground it's not bad people trying to be good people it's good people trying to get well right and like nobody wants to be an addict nobody wants to live on the street it, it's an unfortunate series of events and whatever leads to that it could happen to anyone and that's yeah. the biggest thing sort of for me personally is that you know just because someone needs help doesn't mean they're a bad person everyone was a baby at one point you know like that's yeah, the thing exactly. everyone was just a kid you know that playing with ninja turtles or whatever they were doing and yeah it's just circumstance plus disease and no safety net and no no one to like you know take you know i have a few friends who have hit rock bottom a couple of times but because they were from a you know privileged place in society we're able to keep them going and, and get yeah. them on the right path what 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 i'm struggling with um in my personal life is, I don't know how to ask this. Maybe this is too personal, but like what did Bruce um, withdraw from you guys and not, or, or what was that process like? Cause I'm, I'm struggling with reaching out mm -hmm. and trying to connect with someone in my life that's going through this and, and what can you do when they're not responding? You know, like, so what, yeah. what, what was that situation like for you guys? Was he, he always available or? 
Yeah, I, I couldn't, can't necessarily speak for my parents, but he he was always available for me, mm. and it, and he would never uh, like avoid me or or anything like that. But I could always tell when I spoke to him if he was using. Yeah. And that would get frustrating yeah. for me. And I didn't like, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know the level of what was happening and, and that type of thing. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, with that being said, he never, he never just like wouldn't pick up the phone or wouldn't call me. And he also never like asked me for money or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things. I think he knew he had a substantial problem, but then was almost trying to uh, save face I guess so it's not like he'd disappear off the radar. He would still call. I'd be like, what's going on? This is something, this is weird. But I would, and I didn't really know. Um, but I knew if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. And, and I, well, I heard a, uh, this was a, a joke a comedian told uh, back in the day, but it, there's a lot of truth to it. It's like addiction is the only disease you get yelled at for having. And I think at a certain point, a lot of people in recovery or, or active people in active addiction feel like, cause, you know, generally the conversation is just stop. Why can't you just stop? Just don't do it anymore. And it's like, doesn't work like that. And I think approaching it with a, with a sensitivity and a, and a different sort of nature as opposed, but it's hard too, right? Cause I, I remember speaking to him and knowing something was off and then getting frustrated. And then at the end of the conversation, feeling bad and not really understanding the dynamic. So it's, yeah, there's, that was the thing that, no blueprint for it and trying to navigate these tricky situations. But I think just having a, you know, sensitivity to what they're going through as opposed to a frustration can help immensely. Right. Yeah. Well, you're still a kid going through it at yeah. the same time too, right? Like that, that's yeah. wild stuff. So like, there's going to be probably lineups out the door for this recovery center. I don't know if you know the numbers or anything like that, but like, is there, you know, obviously when the doors are open, there's going to be a, a need and, and it's going to be filled. But like, have you guys thought about any sort of next steps when you, I, I don't even know what I'm asking, but I'm basically yeah, no, saying no, no. there's going to be an unlimited like requirement. And so have yeah. you guys thought about what the next steps are once, once this, once all the beds are sort of filled at the Bruce Oak recovery yeah. center? So we obviously, because this is the sort of first one, yeah. well, this is the first one <laughs> yeah. and uh, we have to do it right want to make sure it's done right not like rush anything to get you know this can't be done like halfway and then we start on another project so we're going to make sure this one's done right and then uh the goal will be a woman's center after cool awesome because mixing men and women in recovery is always a tricky situation so it's 50 Mm -hmm. beds men's facility and then once this is sort of locked in dialed in and it's operating we're going to start on a woman's center awesome that's amazing that's great to hear So let's switch gears to like something maybe a little more positive, but like, <laughs> how's your career going? What have, what have you been up to? I know you're doing a virtual performance uh, in a couple of weeks, but uh, how, like, what is it like doing what you do in a COVID era? Have you been doing uh, Zoom shows? Is that even possible? Yeah, like what's yeah, the situation? It, it's hard. It's So I was, I had uh, an 11 date UK tour booked last March. I saw that on the website. Yeah. 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 So we were one week away from starting that. We had people from here over there. We were ready to go. It was like the whole thing was locked and loaded, ready to hit the road. COVID hit. We were waiting it out. We're like, okay, what's going to happen? Then the UK goes into lockdown. Then we rescheduled it to that November. Then of course this extended for forever basically <laughs> yeah. so we had to just cancel it and, and i came home and so it was a whole sort of paradigm shift of you know how do you 
what do you do during this time? Because the, the, the trickiest part for me was that I had gone through sort of that whole creative process of developing a new show and new material to take on the road for this tour. So then when the lockdowns all happened and everything closed, you know, all my other sort of entertainer friends were like, oh, this is great. We got, you know, free time to create, build, write. And I was like, I just did all of that for this. So like, what do I start on another new hour? I don't know. And then it just, you know, so I did a virtual show over Christmas, which was cool. Really neat. It's a totally different thing though. Like it's, it, you know, you're dealing with, with Zoom and all of this stuff. And it's a, yeah, but it was fun. It was a blast. People had a good evening. I think they really, you know, it, People appreciated the fact that something like that can take place during this because people are hungry for entertainment right now. Um, so yeah, it's just about trying to sort of look at it in a different lens now and how are we going to sort of merge these two worlds because it's not going to open up tomorrow. It's going to be a slow process. So yeah, yeah I've, I've had a, a few projects, if you will. I, I did a, uh, a guest role on uh, the city TV show, Hudson and Rex. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a bit yeah. of bit of acting there. That nice. Was, uh, film and uh, film and TV has still managed to f- navigate the whole COVID thing and yeah. operate uh, safely and all of that. So cool. that that took a bit of time and uh, yeah, the odd virtual show and and a couple little projects here and there. But it's definitely definitely a different way of life these past you know year, few months for sure. For sure. I follow a lot of comedians and that how you're speaking is how they kind of come up with a new hour and then they you know throw away all their their old hour and come is that how you've been working and, and you just come or is there elements of shows from even five ten years ago that you still kind of incorporate little you know tricks and illusions here yeah there, definitely because yeah. it's, it's 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 little little uh trickier for a magician or illusionist because there's there's physical stuff involved and, and yeah. production elements and things so uh it's hard to like spend so much time coming up with something and then just throw it away right next okay. year so yeah it's, it's like sort of a a slow rotation if you will for sure so yeah. yeah eliminate one or two things add some new things and then eventually you have a whole so like for this uk tour i uh i kept like some of the stuff that i did on bgt that was going to stay <laughs> in the show because that's sort of what the uk kind of saw right. and then the rest of it was was new stuff that they'd never seen so chunks of the old more of the new stuff very cool but a lot of these things take you know take a long time to sort of flesh out fully yeah. Whereas, you know, if you put it on stage the first time, it's not going to get the same reaction as if it's something you've been doing for four or five years kind of for thing. Sure. It all lives in the details and the nuances. So, um, you know, and especially it's, it's, it's a little different because a comedian can go and do, you know, like six, seven sets in a night, mm-hmm. right? Whereas a magician, it's a little, little different. So it takes a bit more time to flesh it out, but yeah, it's, it's relatively the same format. Are you itching to get back on stage and just be in oh, front of that live audience? Like, can't wait. Yeah, that's yeah, all I want to do. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to to just sort of sit back and wait. Right now, I always feel like I should be doing something else. Like, I don't mm. necessarily like what it's like. What do you kind of put your time into right now? Is it well? Am I going to create something? But if well, if we when's it going to open? So where's that going to go? Or do I put it into the? So it's always this weird sort of like internal battle. It's like, what do I put my focus into? Over these past few months, just because I feel like everybody's getting a little stir crazy, but yeah, yeah. tell me about it. Uh, so one of our one of my coworkers, um, you might you might have met Mary Beth actually. She's from the donor services team. Uh, she would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell me a couple stories or something about performing for the Queen's 90th birthday. Do you have anything? Oh, that, yeah. from when yeah, that happened or what? How'd that go down? Uh, so yeah, that was uh, pretty much. Well, 100% because of my uh, BGT run. So the, the organizers of that whole event got in touch and uh, 
Man, it was crazy. So it was in Windsor Castle, 80 members of the royal family in like the this ballroom. <laughs> and they uh, invite all the staff from the castle in as well. So like the whole royal family is sitting probably like, I guess, 10 of those round tables. And the staff of the castle is all around sort of the back perimeter. And uh, looking back on it now, it's like I'm glad that happened when that happened because I think it would be a totally different – I'd be in a totally different mindset now doing it than I was. I was – I'm 33 now, so I think uh, – when was it? That would have been 2016 or something like that. Okay. Um, a little bit more naive, I guess. And I was like, oh, this is crazy, but not necessarily fully grasping the magnitude of doing that. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it, it was nuts. So w Windsor Castle is where they actually live. And – yeah, at one point we were, I was just like left alone. Like it wasn't like tight, like guards everywhere or whatever. And I was just sort of like roaming the hallways, kind of like looking around <laughs> Open a little doors? Bit. That's so yeah. funny. And it, so I guess it's um, uh, like whenever a um, like a president or a high up figure comes and visits the queen, I guess like the tradition is you, she usually gets like, well, it seems like a weapon or something from like there are like there's Japanese samurai suits from like whatever year swords all like there's insane artifacts all over that place Amazing. and it's just like mind-boggling to see and then uh after got to do the uh like the meeting line and I knew that there was some sort of protocol to meeting everyone mm -hmm. and the organizer had said nothing so we're literally walking to go to meet them all and I'm like hey what like how does this work what do I I obviously have to do something like there's you know so I guess everyone is uh everyone's your royal highness and then she's your majesty okay. and then you can't stick out your hand first to shake her hand but she has to do it and so it's literally like we're gonna do it in like 30 seconds and he gives me this breakdown on the way to do it I was well I'm gonna mess this Amazing. up for sure and so uh luckily I didn't Everybody comes through. Queen came through. It was really, really cool. And then at the very end, Prince Harry came through. And it was protocol out the window. He basically strolled up and he was like, dude, that was crazy. I've seen all your stuff on YouTube. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. And then, yeah, and then he uh, shook my hand and he goes, just don't trash the place tonight. And then he walked off and I was like, what a cool guy. Like, just, just no, like, it was mind blowing. That's Super so rad. Cool. Yeah, I, I got a photo too, but it was like part of the deal that I wasn't allowed to share it or show it anywhere. So I have this photo of me meeting the queen hanging up, but I can't like publicly yeah. put it anywhere. But it's one, definitely a bucket list thing that I'll show my grandkids for sure. Just a kid from Winnipeg. Hey, make yeah, it big. I think I can show castle. this though here. Sure. Right? Uh, I have this. This is like, this was the menu. Oh. Fancy. Oh, yeah. April 2016, and then yeah, this was the menu of uh good meal. Was it a good meal? Oh, it was insane. It was so like decadent, and I never usually eat before shows and stuff. So they were mm. passing out these dishes that I didn't really try. Which looking back on, I should have now. But yeah, for sure. So 2021 or 2022? Are you planning on going on tour and taking you know taking your yeah. skills out there again, or what's the plan? Yeah. So it's basically uh well, it's it's hard to plan uh you know or schedule anything right now because you don't really know what's going to happen so yeah. um in theory that's the plan I mean, we kind of have to wait and see how things unfold because you can only reschedule dates so many times before people yeah. are like uh so we went the route of we rescheduled the uk tour once and then yeah. just canceled it so we weren't like stringing these people along yeah exactly forever. so when the time is right gonna get back out there 100%. Be so yeah i mean it'd be so great to just 
not necessarily handshake anymore. Maybe we'll switch to the bow, but just be with your fans again and, and yeah. you know, connect with people again. It's got to be one of the best parts about being a performer and getting out there and meeting fans and stuff, right? And when that's 100%. taken away, it's like, what the heck? And the connection with the audience too, like the, that sort of dynamic of the, the back and forth. And it's, there's, a, there's a, something really special about that that I think people are missing. So and the one thing I keep telling myself is that when, when we are allowed to get back to it, like people are going to be hungry for it and, and appreciative mm-hmm. of it. And not that they weren't before, but I think there's going to be an extra level of, you know, yeah. you can already tell people are yeah. hungry for that live performance. And, you know, so mm-hmm. many festivals are can folk fest and all that stuff is canceled again. So everyone's just like, Oh, we got to get back out there. Yeah, definitely. And the virtual well, stuff is just not fully the same, especially when you're watching it at home, you're not, you know, if you go somewhere and you're watching it live and there's this energy in the theater, Whereas you still can get that online, but you know, you're, you're sitting at home and you're watching it on a screen. So it's kind of, you know, misses that, that dynamic. hundred percent. Yeah, cool. definitely. Well, thank you, Darcy, for your time. Uh, before we let you go, I do a segment with all my guests called just because where it's the same seven questions and it's all about the causes you care about and the effect that it's had on your lives. Therefore the because and the fact, are you okay to go through those questions with us? Let's do it. All right. Question one, what's the very first cause you actually remember caring about? Even as a kid, what's the very first cause? Oh, these are deep. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. Well, I would have to, I would have to say addiction because you know, probably in my early, like, well, not as early te- mid teens was when yeah. Bruce started sort of struggling. So maybe like, you know, 18, wow. 19, well, I shouldn't say 18. That's tough to give the time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Blur. But yeah, I, w- I would have been in my, in my mid teens, mid to late teens when he started struggling. So, yeah, you know, before that, I, you know, I feel like as a kid, you're not too aware of any cause. Exactly. No <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, for sure. Question two, if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers in support of your cause. What would you do? Uh, well, the center would be open. Center would be full and we would have the women's center going as well. Same thing. Yeah, good answer for sure. Uh, question three, we kind of talked about this already, but what's the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest stigma that still surrounds addiction right now? I would say that they're, that uh, the biggest stigma is that they're looked down upon where that's, you know, shouldn't be the case. And I think that's, that's the narrative we're trying to sort of flip on its head. And I think we've had some success doing that. But I think, you know, people look at homeless people or, or addicts as like, oh, wow, that kind of attitude towards it and i pull up your bootstraps and fix your own problems yeah exactly whereas it's not it's not and i heard another quote too which is uh i I believe to some extent is that drugs aren't necessarily the problem reality is the problem for these people and drugs are the solution yeah so you know not looking at them like they're derelicts and actually real smart genuine good people who have just had a rough go i've i've thought about this for a long time like everyone medicates Everyone yeah. medicates with something, whether, you know, I, I have a couple drinks here and there or, or whatever, like mm-hmm. everyone has something that they use to soothe themselves, mm-hmm. whether it's food or drugs or, yeah. you know, anything. So it's, it's yeah. weird that certain things are, are frowned upon and, and demonized and certain things are literally celebrated and like lifted up and, and, and promoted. It's yeah, very bizarre. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think over time, you know, especially with the more, this becomes a predominant issue in, in society in general. I think the, I think the narrative will change and the conversations will be different and it'll be less looking down upon these people and, and actually actively trying to help. Yeah. Very well said. Uh, we kind of talked about this already maybe with the, with the COVID pivot, but question four is what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because plan a wasn't working out. So you had to go to plan B. 
It's funny you say that. I don't think I've ever necessarily had to pivot uh, career-wise. I yeah. never gave myself a plan B. It was, this was it. All or wow. nothing, all in. So I was really all I know how to do. And uh, I think, you know, um, I can't remember. Was it Kevin O'Leary said? Or no, who was it? it, it so plan B just takes away. Having a plan B just takes away from plan A. Mm. You know, and I think I sort of unintentionally put myself in that in that environment. And when Bruce died... I think, you know, I dove into trying to get gigs and working and staying on the road as, you know, not to have to face the reality of what happened. Um, and it was kind of crazy how that all worked out time-wise. Like, who I don't know if I would have dove in headfirst, like have to, you know, do these shows and do all this if I wasn't maybe trying to distract myself. So it's it's weird to think about it that way too. Like, you know, if, it was, if we didn't go through that, horrendous time frame if i would have you know gone all in like that well we talk about everybody medicates i mean perf- I've, i know personally a lot of performers who use the stage as their medicine in a oh, way right 100%. you get it and i'm sure you, co- you come across it a lot too yeah and it's funny too because like i for a while especially when, when you're doing you know shows consistently it's like i would let my sort of mood for the next couple of days be determined by how I felt the last show went, mm. which was like kind of unhealthy in a way too. Mm-hmm. And that only sort of goes away the more you do it. Like, you know, the quote is you're only as good as your last show. So if I like, if I, you know, did a show that I didn't feel was up to par, that would like fester inside me for so long. And I would have to, okay, let's get back out there and, and do another one. And yeah, so it's all, that's also a thing to navigate as well. It's sure. not, you know, cause they're not all going to be amazing. They can't be, not everything can be your best show ever. Perfect. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so interesting for sure. Uh, question five, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, it's never as good and never as bad as you think it is. Yeah. Which was like, cause you know, your own, your, your own worst critic, especially as a live performer and you know, something nobody would necessarily notice, like you can internalize and fester on forever. And the same is true the other way. Like if you get off stage, like, Oh, it was the best show I've ever probably wasn't. So it's sort it's somewhere in the middle and that's, that keeps a, a good level mindset. I feel like when it comes to performing live. Yeah. It keeps you from both getting depressed and also, you know, <laughs> keeps you a little bit humble that you exactly. don't think you're the man and yeah. untouchable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10 year old self? If you could go back in time and talk to him? Um, probably don't be so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, yeah. And this is overall, I think in general, cause it, for me, it's sort of, like performing live is as it's 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 not like acting where you're pretending to be someone else it's a larger version of yourself and so you can sort of get into a weird sort of spiral of beating yourself up or if i only had said this or if i had done this or if i blah 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 blah. and it's just it's all a learning journey no one really has any idea what we're supposed to be doing as human beings so just go with it learn take it easy don't beat yourself up enjoy the ride Yeah. I've been struggling with that too, because I feel like, like I played, you know, a lot of sports growing up and a lot of our coaches when I, you know, 20 years ago now were, there was sort of a inherent negativity with when you messed up and it was like, Oh, I'm I'm the worst. I'm trash. I'm not, I got it. But that taught me to be better because I don't like feeling like crap. So it's kind of a weird, like I have to disconnect the feeling like crap, but also wanting to improve. And it's kind of a weird uh, thing to disconnect itself with. And it sounds like maybe you you had the similar experience. A hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas, and especially, you know, with what I do, you rely on so many other people 
like being switched on and knowing exactly what they have to do when they have to do it as well, that if someone else has a, a mistake or whatever, it, the audience doesn't know that. And that reflects on me. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there used to be this pressure of being like, does everybody know exactly what has to be done? Because if like the, the microphone's not off there or not on, they're not going to be like, oh, the sound guy messed up. They're like, he looks like an idiot. Ha ha ha. Mm -hmm. So it all comes back to the person on stage. And that was like another thing that I had to learn too, was that you only appear to be bombing if you care that you're bombing. So if you're up there and you're like, oh, I'm flustered, it's it's then you then they then they feel it. But if you're like, ah, you roll with the punches, you know, then then you're not bombing because you don't care. You you don't feel like you're bombing. So it's this whole weird like internal. Not to say that I'm always bombing, but you know, no, no, no. yeah, <laughs> for sure. I like I used to play music a little bit too, and and I, watching old performances when you see your face mess up, then you you don't even hear it like you don't even yeah. hear it and i'm sure it's the same you know when you're performing it's like if you if you if everything looks like it went right then it went right and if, exactly. if you, yeah it's, it's it's kind of almost <laughs> like hypnotism in a way like you're hypnotizing the crowd yeah well and yeah and the, the beautiful thing about what i do is that they don't know what's supposed to happen so and i always like to say too like magic tricks never necessarily fail they only just get longer <laughs> <laughs> That's so, they don't know what's coming so you can you know and, and that takes experience and time For to sure. learn that like you know there you, you gotta you can navigate the waters and don't panic i think is the that would probably be another piece of advice to my 10 year old self is don't panic just chill <laughs> yeah no kidding well darcy thank this is an awesome conversation it's great to get to talk to you and learn a little bit more about uh you know your relationship with bruce and everything um so thank you and the last question uh is what do you want to be remembered for uh just being a good person that's it. I had a guy, I did another magician's podcast a little while ago and he was like, where do you see yourself? Like in 10 years, where do you want to be? And I'm like, just doing this for a living and be remembered as a good guy. That's about it. Very cool. What, who is that podcast? I, I'm, I might take a listen. Uh, his name's Franz Harari. He's like a, he's a, a veteran in the magic and illusion world. Cool. Yeah. Were you guys like talking shop or what was the podcast? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love, like, I mean, I listen to comedians do the same thing. So it'd be cool to see, kind of see a, a, a little window into your world as well. So thanks. Okay. Well, thank you for your time, Darcy. Uh, I know you're a busy man. Uh, is there anything that you uh, want to promote or like, is your website the place to go or where can people find out more about where you're going to be next uh, doing your thing? Uh, yeah. Darcy Oak on all social media platforms. And then we have um, called the Encore event for the, uh, the, the foundation. So fundraising virtual uh, evening. That's on May 1st, right? May or, 1st. Yeah. yeah, May 1st. Cool. And we're going to be doing the first sort of uh, uh, drone tour of the facility. Oh, so, wicked. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's cool evening. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you can find out all about that on the uh, Bruce Oak website. So Bruce okay. Oak .ca. Awesome. up there and uh yeah hopefully we'll see some of the uh, listeners on may 1st definitely darcy thank you for your time take care of yourself and your wish uh tell your dad to send him all our best from the foundation and everything and uh, be well and i'll i'll let him know when we beat the ratings from his <laughs> exactly get those numbers up okay thanks darcy take care my pleasure we'll see you soon thank you again to darcy for coming on the show uh I know we were joking at the start about beating his dad's numbers and it was like Scott's. If you haven't heard Scott, Scott Oak's episode of Because and Effect, it's episode number one. Scroll back and give it a listen because um, if you enjoyed this conversation, you are definitely going to enjoy that one. Uh, Scott was very, very vulnerable and very honest and very um, informative and, and, and really it was a wonderful conversation uh, learning more about Bruce's life and learning more about his legacy and, and, the, and 
the center and the idea for the center and yeah as they mentioned it's going to be opened in, in a couple months i think in august so yeah very excited and winnipeg is going to be better for it that's the bottom line winnipeg is going to be a better place because this place is being open so really happy uh thanks again darcy for being on the show and thanks for listening all music on the show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his groovy tunes at trentonburton.com. If you're looking for another wonderful podcast to listen to, you can check out Because Radio. It airs every week on Thursday at noon on 93.7 CJNU in Winnipeg on the radio. Or if you are outside of Winnipeg, it streams live at cjnu.ca. Because in Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about the foundation by visiting the website. Uh, it's wpgfdn.org, or you can follow them on social media at wpgfdn on pretty much every social media account. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all the socials. Uh, thank you very much again for listening. And remember, recovery is about progression, not perfection. Bye-bye.